Verse number one. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Read with me verse two. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah and his brethren, and Judah begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar, and Pharaoh begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon. We'll stop right there. I'll read the rest of the verses, give you a break there, but you follow along as I read. You were doing such a good job, but uh, I'll, I'll save you that. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, uh, um, Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the, the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Uriah, who was Bathsheba. And Solomon begat um, Reboam, and Reboam begat Ab- Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josephat, and Josephat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias. And Ozias beget Joth, uh, Jotham, and Jotham beget Achaz, and Achaz beget uh, Ezekias, and Ezekias beget Manasseh, and Manasseh beget Ammon, and Ammon beget Josias, and Josias beget Jeconias and his brethren, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begot, begat Selithiel, and Selithiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiad, and Abiad begat uh, Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat Eliad, and Eliad begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was uh, born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away of Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word today. Thank you for it. I thank you for every aspect of this uh, genealogy that's significant. And uh, I pray that you help us to um, make some application to that today. I pray that you would be with those that um, are in need this morning. Some are hurting, and some this uh, sermon may not be what they came to hear, but I pray that this would be a blessing to them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Matthew was a Jew writing specifically to the Jews about a Jew whose name was Jesus. And the Jews were the chosen family to bring forth the Savior. We know that. And, uh, but God has had the world in view from the very beginning, the whole world. Not just the Jewish people, but the whole world. And we know that salvation is of the Jews, but it's not just for the Jews. Um, we see the genealogy here of Joseph. I've read in a book um, by um, Ray Bakke, he calls this the uh, graveyard tour. You know, go through all these 14 and 14 and 14 generations. And... Um, But anyways, the lineage of Jesus includes four women. I think it's significant. Each story, each one of these women is basically a soap opera. Um, There's there's lots of of things that could be said, and we'll try to say some of them today. But of all the good, godly, and moral upstanding women uh, that could have been listed here in Israel's history, we read about Rahab the harlot. She was a Canaanite. We read about Ruth, who was a Moabite. 
We read about Bathsheba, who had been married to a Hittite. She was possibly a foreigner herself. Tamar, if you read there in verse number, I think it was, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. I think it was verse number 5. And um, we read about Tamar. Uh, verse number, I'm sorry, verse number 3. And uh, that's spelled a little different, T-H-A-M-A-R, but Tamar and some of these have different alternate spellings, but we understand who they are. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. And uh, she tricked Judah into having a son with her. But God used Judah, Ferris, Esram, and Aram in the lineage of Jesus. This was on purpose. All of these things God allowed to happen, but they were, they, I believe that there is a reason for it. Um, gender, the fact that four women are listed, that's a stumbling block to a Jewish first century person. Um, you know, ethnicity, that's a stumbling block for many. Um, the scandals that are, you know, surrounding these stories. Notwithstanding all of those things, Matthew is laying the groundwork for a story of the Savior of the world. Number one today, deliverance came from the outside. Deliverance came from the outside. Uh, Matthew uh, starts the drama here. He uh, starts this drama uh, about the Jews. They could not save themselves. With all of their law keeping and all of their good works and their good deeds, uh, deliverance would not come from inside. All of their efforts and all of their morality, it's clear that deliverance has to come from the outside. The human race cannot save itself. Supernatural intervention was needed. The world today cannot solve its own problems. The world will not solve its own problems. I know we're praying for peace, but you will never see peace in this world until all have come to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. The cities will not lift themselves from their own crisis. We can improve things to a point, but the point is that problems cannot be eliminated. I've heard it said that you cannot eliminate crime, you cannot get rid of crime, you can only control crime to a point. And um, education will not rescue us. Many have uh, run after that aspiration in their life. And yes, education can help do some things. Money can help some things. But those two things don't solve all of the problems. Uh, the government will not deliver us. We've seen them try for three years. Not trying to poke fun too much, but we understand the reality that the problems have not been eliminated. They've probably gotten worse to a degree. Uh, our advanced health care system cannot heal everyone every time. We're thankful for medicine. We're thankful for doctors. We're thankful for the hospitals and all of those things. But it, it just cannot solve all of the problems. See, what the world is missing, what the world is looking for, what the world needs is a deliverer from the outside. The world needs Jesus. 
Number one, we saw deliverance came from the outside. Number two, deliverance came in the form of an outsider. Go with me to Matthew chapter 2 now, if you would. After the wise men came to see the young child, Jesus, Joseph takes his family and he flees to Egypt. We read about that account here in verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into, <clears throat> into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. And that was written by Hosea 700 years before the birth of Christ. But Matthew wants us to know that the Christmas story is about an Asian-born deliverer, an Asian-born Jesus who became an African refugee. Around the world, a hundred baby, <clears throat> babies are born every 23 seconds. I did the math, because that number has changed and fluctuated. But I, I, I did the math last night. It's like 200-some uh, a minute. 23 seconds, 100 babies are born. That's incredible. But did you know that half of those babies will be born in Asia? At the end of 2021, 89.3 million people were forcibly displaced worldwide as a result of persecution, as a result of conflict, as a result of violence. This includes 27.1 million refugees. That's in one year. Over one-third of all refugees are from Africa. I think it's significant, significant where Jesus was born, how these things took place, even to 2022, 2023 almost, to us today. Matthew wants us to know that Jesus understands all of the things that people are experiencing today. All the stuff we're going through today has significance even in the life of Christ. Because he went through it all. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 53, if you would. Isaiah 53. And here's a great chapter of prophecy. In fact, there are 35 prophecies in this chapter that Jesus Christ fulfilled. 35 messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And I failed to put the list in your notes. I should have done that. But there's... Um, a verse or a phrase in this chapter for each of those 35, a phrase that correlates to several New Testament references where Jesus fulfilled an aspect of chapter 53 of Isaiah. 35 things that Jesus fulfilled. I think it's awesome. We don't have time to go through each of those, but we'll read through the chapter at least. But in this chapter, we see some significant things. Verse number one. Who hath believed our report? Or to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall... Now, now keep in mind, this is Jesus, the Messiah. 
For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. Remember, he's an outsider. I mean, he came as a Jew, the chosen people, but he's not even accepted by the Jews. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare this his generation? For he was cut off from of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was, was he stricken. And he, was made, and he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he hath had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. We'll turn in a moment to Hebrews 13. If you want to get there right now, that's fine. But in the Old Testament we see the prophecy of Christ, the outsider. He was the outsider who gave us access to the inside. Praise God for that. In the Old Testament as well, we read about the most holy place. You read about the tabernacle. You read about the temple. There was the outer court. There was the holy place. And then there was the holy of holies, the most holy place. That was where the uh, high priest was allowed to go. It was not a place where people gathered and worshipped because there was a, a physical barrier, a veil, keeping people out. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. God's presence was there. The Law of Moses said that once a year, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, before entering the tabernacle or the temple, the high priest was to bathe and put on special garments. He would then sacrifice a bull for a sin offering for himself and his family. 
The blood of the bull was to be brought into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. And once the sacrifices were done, the carcasses of the animals were taken outside of the temple, outside of the city even, and burned. It was like taking out the trash. A significant Hebrews 13. We know that Jesus is our sacrifice. He gave us uh, himself as a sacrifice. He died on the cross in our place. But Hebrews 13, 11, the Bible says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also. Jesus, the outsider, identifies with that, that bloody sacrifice outside. Taken out. The Bible says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Jesus was not crucified in the temple. We know he was crucified on that hill outside the city. Jesus suffered without the gate. Let us, verse 13, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Jesus was an intentional outsider. He did all of this on purpose. And then we're called to join him in his reproach. He's saying in verse 13, let us go unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. In other words, join, Christian, join me in my suffering. Join me in what I'm going through. Uh, Christian, uh, with a Savior like this, my friend, with a Savior like this, here is how to live. Move toward need, not comfort. That's the opposite of how we think, isn't it? We, wanna, we want the Jesus that, you know, everybody is, you know, worshiping. He's so popular. Everyone wants to, um, you know, this is a, you know, being a Christian is almost a status symbol. You know that? Being a Christian today is a status symbol that some people still want. It's becoming less and less, but, you know, uh, you know, it's a cultural thing. It's a, it, it's a status thing. You know, I, I go to such and such a church. I go to this big church over here. I go to that church down the road. And, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of feeds our pride sometimes. But that's not the kind of Jesus that we serve. It's not about status. It's not about pride. In fact, he says, come and join me in my reproach. You know, you will face that. You will face the reproach of Christ when you begin to truly live for Christ. When I truly live for Christ, I begin to experience that, as we call it, persecution. But it's, it's that reproach. We've heard of people today even that have been rebuffed by family for witness or friends for witnessing. You're, you're experiencing that reproach. The persecution of the not-so-popular Jesus of the Bible. Not some man-made figure. Not some icon that everyone, you know, 
That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and He is to be worshipped by all. But my friend, this world does not worship Christ. And it's not going to be popular to truly live for Him and to witness for Him and to preach the truth. You know, if you go out and preach the Word of God without apology, you're not going to be applauded. You're not going to be uh, followed after. You know, a lot of the preachers, the big-time preachers, and I, and I said there are some that truly preach the Word of God that do have a following or, let's say, a larger church, but that's not the norm. That's not what's to be expected. Just because it's a large church doesn't mean they're doing the wrong thing, but I'm just going to tell you right now, most large churches are not preaching the whole counsel of the Word of God. They're skipping over things. They're overlooking things. Because if you preach the word, if you preach what Jesus actually preached, you will not be accepted by most people. It's a very, very small remnant of people that really want to hear the full truth. All of it. Unvarnished. Not candy-coated. So... I understand that today in this building, Jesus of the Bible is exalted. And he has a place here. We love God here. But I'm just telling you that outside, it's not the accepted message. Keep that in mind. Um, And with a Savior who moves from heaven... And comes to earth, identifies with us, takes on human flesh, is humbled all the way to a manger, not born in Caesar's house, not born in Herod's house, not born in any other political ruler, not not, not given all of the things that we think a king should have. No, he came lowly. That's the kind of way he expects us to live. So we see that uh, God has a message for us this morning, and that is to go to Jesus without the camp, bearing his reproach. I've quoted this many times. I'm going to quote it again. This comes from a friend of mine, wrote an article in the Baptist Tribune uh, 17 years ago. God wrapped himself in flesh and moved into the worst neighborhood in the galaxy. The trouble is we rant and rave about our sound theology, but that separated our theology, but have separated our theology from our methodology. We want our sacrifice for sin bloody, but the sacrifice of our lives bloodless. We love the Savior who wades into the press of the crowd, but we keep moving away from people, calling it looking for a better location. No, that's, that is so typical of what's going on. We don't, I mean, we want to, we want to, <clears throat> sorry, we want to, uh, is everything okay there? Okay. We want to have a, uh, you know, we want to have this Jesus that, uh, 
we, um, we, we want to have a, a, a church that uh, uh, you know, worships Christ. We want to have a church that goes soul winning. We want to evangelize. We want to be part of all of that. We, we like that. Maybe here, I'm preaching the choir this morning. We want to have all of those things. We know that's the right thing to do. But at the same time, there's many, many churches across this nation that are soul winning churches that are not truly going after the forgotten people. They're not going after the outsiders. They're not going after the homeless. They're not going after the poor. They're not, they, you know, they run some buses, but they're not going into the really, really bad neighborhoods. Now, I'm not patting ourselves on the back this morning saying that we're doing any of those things. But I think that should be our heartbeat, because I think that's the heartbeat of Christ, to go after those that are not popular, to go after those that don't have anything to give us in return, that, don't, uh, that are not going to uh, be the tithers of the church, that are not going to be the ones that, that uh, sustain our church or our ministry. That is not how most churches are thinking. Most churches in America have a business model. We want, to, we want to make sure that we have, you know, a 10-year plan. We want to make sure that we can, uh, you know, live well. We can pay our pastor well. And we can, uh, you know, have all of the debts taken care of. And we can have a nice building. We can have a remodel. And we can have a nice children's facility. And we can have all the bells and whistles that we think are so important. But my friend, yet... At the same time, the gospel is being forgotten. People are not being reached that God says that we should be reaching. We need to move out from the camp of security and familiarity and ease and be willing to bear reproach with them who really need help. I was at Walmart last night. I was at the South 27th Street Walmart. Now, it's a different location than the South Milwaukee or Franklin Walmart. Uh, those locations are a little more ethnically homogenous. The Milwaukee location seems to be getting more diverse. And I saw all kinds of different cultures there last night. I heard different languages. And although I've heard that Walmart referred to as the Spanish Walmart, I don't think everything I heard was Spanish. Not 100% sure, but um, it wasn't English. But um, our city is becoming more and more diverse. And while it's not a sin to live outside of the city, I think our attitude about and towards people who don't look, talk, sound like, smell like, eat like us, should be the attitude that Christ has. So many people get afraid whenever the neighborhood begins to change. And I understand the crime issue. It's just out of control. 215 homicides this year so far. Year's not even done with. It's out of control. And like I said, it's not all going to be solved we can control some of it, and we can do something about that and pray for godly leaders, pray for the hearts of people to change, but it's not going to be eliminated until Jesus comes back. But I'm going to say right now, just because there's a crime issue, just because the neighborhood is changing, just because, you know, it's just not like it used to be, doesn't mean we flee and run away from problems. When the, the, the heart of Christ was not to run away, 
whenever man sinned and, and, and brought the sin curse into the world, God didn't scrap it and say, forget about it, we're going to start over. He said, no, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to send Jesus to redeem those people that I love, that I created. They are worth redeeming. I don't know why, because I'm not God. But God loved us so that He sent so much that He sent His Son to redeem us. Lest we think too highly of ourselves, we are trash. We deserve to be uh, disposed of. Oh my! We need to get a better idea of who we really are in the in relation to uh, our situation, who God is. He is holy, he's perfect, he's righteous. He cannot stand sin. And that is why Jesus died for us. And I'm thankful for the redemption story. I'm thankful that he decided to come and save us. But knowing all of that, don't just say, well, that's just a wonderful story. I'm so glad for what Jesus, he redeemed me, he saved me, praise God for it. Now I'm going to live my life. He redeemed you for a reason. And I believe that reason, typically when you see in the Bible, it's going to parallel the example of Jesus. What would Jesus do? You remember the bracelets that we used to wear back in the 90s? Some still wear them, I guess. But, you know, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Did he run away? Did he run from trouble? No, he was much like a firefighter who runs into the fire to rescue and to save. And so we need to follow the example of Christ. Could you do for others what Jesus did for you? Well, I can't save people, but I can tell them about the Savior. Praise God for that. Do something. We should do something radical for God like God did for us. The first radical thing that you should do is put your life in God's hands. Trust Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. Some of you, most of you have done that. Praise the Lord for that. But do you truly know Jesus, and does he truly, does he know you? Is he, uh, is he your Savior this morning? Do something radical. Get saved. Get saved. Come to Jesus, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. The second radical thing that you should do is to be immersed. Biblical baptism salvation is the most important thing that you could ever do. Be saved. Come to Jesus, get saved. But I think the, one of the first steps that we should take as a believer is to be scripturally baptized. Follow Christ in that example. And then read the Bible. Know this book. Get to know the Bible. And tell others about the truth. Be radical. Be different. Don't run from problems. I know it's difficult to witness to the, uh, to the, the tatted up people and the drunks and the, all the piercings and all that junk that, you know, I, yeah, it makes me a little bit uh, nervous at times, you know. But you know what? That's some, I think a lot of that is a cry for help. They want, they, they're, they're trying to fit in or they're trying not to fit in or whatever is going on. I don't know. But, you know, all of the transgenderism and all the homosexuality and all of this other perversion you know, it's not that somehow, you know, God doesn't love them and has forgotten about them. No, they're trying to find the answer. But they're not finding the answer because nobody's telling them. We're running away. Jesus died for them too. 
And he's saying, come on, people. Come on, Christians. Do what I told you to do five times. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Some of them look like creatures, okay? I'm just going to tell you. They're, they don't look like people sometimes. But you know what? If they have a soul, if, if they have a soul inside of them, if they're a human being, God loves them. And you know what? I've seen some people get cleaned up after they got saved. And by the way, that should happen. If you get saved, you should change, okay? From the inside out. But praise God for the, the, uh, the salvation that he gives to us, then the sanctification and the growth. But I've seen some lives change and transform. But why do we have to just have some nice little story that we heard about? Why can't you have your own transformation story? Why can't you get saved? Why don't you get saved? And then why don't you help get other people saved? Help tell other people about Jesus. Don't you want to have that? Say, well, that's nice. I've heard about that. I've heard about the old stories. And, and uh, years ago, you know, the buses were rolling and, and uh, just uh, God was doing a work and it's too bad that it doesn't happen anymore. Well, what changed? What happened? He said, well, it just got more difficult. The problems got worse. There's more sinners now. There's always been sinners. You're just seeing the, the symptoms You're seeing the symptoms. They're more on the surface. They're not as suppressed as they used to be. People are still the same. And God still is doing a work. So let's get part of it. Let's go after people. Let's stop running away from the problems. Let's start running to the problems. Get the help in time to where it needs to be. You know, they've said, somebody has said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So let's get it there in time. Go with me to verse number 14. We're not done yet. Do something radical for God. Be an outsider. It's okay. We don't want to be that. We're, we're afraid of that reproach. We don't want to be considered radical, uh, fanatical, unless you're rooting for the Chicago Bears or the Green Bay Packers. Then we lose our minds, right? Then it's okay. Because it's, it's popular to do that. You know, that's acceptable. Hey, why don't we make it acceptable to be radical for Christ? Verse number 14, if you would. Hebrews 3, uh, 13, verse 14. And I just saw this here, thought, so I thought I'd share this. Continuing on, I will review verse 13. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp. He suffered without the... Let's go with him. Let's, let's bear the cross of Christ. Let's go up Mount Calvary with Jesus. Bearing his reproach. For we... Uh, I'm sorry. For here have we no continuing city. But we seek one to come. We're looking for that city, okay? We don't have a place where we go and worship right now as far as a holy place. There's no holy site. You know, everywhere we go is sacred, really. It's God's territory. I know the devil thinks he's in control right now, but ultimately God is just saying he's giving him a little leash, okay? God is in control. And in this church age, we don't have a holy city to worship in. We don't have a temple The city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed shortly after Christ uh, uh, rose from the grave and ascended. We don't have a place to worship like that, but that's okay. We don't need to make a pilgrimage to the temple to find God. He's found everywhere. 
Scripture says when Jesus died, the veil in the temple that was separating the holy place and the outer court and all of the congregation that could not see into the holiest place, the holy of holies, they couldn't see the Ark of the Covenant. They had no access, direct access to God's presence. They could not see in. But the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn from top to bottom. There is no longer a barrier to God. In fact, Jesus became the veil. The Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, is now open to all that would come to him. My friend, we don't understand, I don't think, what a privilege it is to just go to God in prayer. To be in the presence of God, to, to be able to have access to him through Jesus Christ. We, we have salvation. We don't have to go and sacrifice uh, a lamb or a bull or a goat or, or whatever. We don't have to bring those sacrifices to appease God and to have a covering for sin. Praise God, we have our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, and he has given us access to God. And we go right directly to God, not through the church, not through a priest, but through Jesus Christ. Paul says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so the holy of holies, the very presence of God, is open to all who come to Christ in faith. You have a audience with God this morning. You can talk to God right now. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till you get your life cleaned up. I know some people think, well, God won't listen to me because of how I'm living. He's saying, come to me as you are right now because of how you're living. And uh, your sin, your sin nature is that barrier. But Jesus washes the sin away. So come to him right now. You're not, some people think, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to talk to God because of how, I, how, how, how I've done things and how, how I've lived my life in the past. And I don't, uh, I don't know if he'll accept me. Oh, my friend, God will not cast out anyone who comes to him. But we have to come to him. See, all of those things, all of those things are lies that the devil whispers in your ear to keep you from coming to Jesus. Jesus is the antidote for all sin. He is the one that will cure you. He will fix you. The outsider is the only one that can solve the world's problems. And yet, where's the world going? To all, every, and other, every other thing, right? Oh, the government, we get a good president, he'll fix it. Oh, we get another uh, king, he'll fix it. We get another uh, boss, new company CEO, they'll fix the problems. Oh, they can put Band-Aids. But guess what? They can't solve the problem that only God can fix. Praise God for that. Let's stand, if we would, close our eyes, bow our heads. Father, I pray that you'd help us. We think about the outsider. You gave us this wonderful example. It was not a mistake. It was not coincidental. You said, 
how it would all pan out. The prophecies were there. Jesus fulfilled them. It was on purpose. It was planned. It was ordained. You have a reason. And I think one of the reasons is because we are able to relate to a Jesus that was born in a manger far easier than a Jesus who was given world power. He turned it all down to give us this this wonderful example of humanity and humility. We thank you for that. But help us, Lord, help us, Father, to have that same kind of heart, the same mentality of not running away from problems. I understand, God, you've given us wisdom, you've given us insight and discretion to not just run into every problem that could harm us or harm our families. But God, if you've moved us to do something, if you've moved us to talk to someone, which most people that come across our path, you're saying they need help. The Holy Spirit is giving us wisdom and, and, and uh, giving us that impulse to talk to them. Help us, Lord, to have the courage and love to obey. Help us not to turn and say, somebody else will talk to them. Father, there's a reason that you put us where we're at. God, I I pray that you would bring more Christians to the cities. Because we we need help. And this, this harvest, as Jesus stated, it is plenteous. But the laborers are few. So God, use us. We yield ourselves to you this morning. I pray that would be our prayer today. Use us. But then we're praying for more laborers. Give us more laborers. Give us more people that we can train and help to do the work. Help us to not shirk our responsibilities. and Help us not to run and hide and cower. But may we have the boldness that is only through the Holy Spirit, to be a lighthouse and the salt and light, the gospel witness on this corner and in this city that we need to be. Lord, help us to not have a low view of what you could do, but have a high view, uh, a a view that is expectant, that says, God, you're going to do something great. Help us to have faith like that, to know that this world uh, needs, this city needs this church, and then this church is going to make an impact. Use us, work through us. Do a work in us so that you can do that work through us today. I pray for, uh, for us to not run from, but run to. Help us to have that heart and that spirit today. Thank you for your example.